Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. Again, a huge welcome to those of you joining us online. Um, kids, welcome. It's great to have you with us in the room as well. Um, we are going to be continuing in our series through the letter to the Romans. So I invite you to, to get a Bible out, uh, whether you're going to be turning pages or scrolling on your phone. It's, it's all good here. Um, so do have the text before you. We're going to be getting into Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. Romans 2, verses 17 to 29. So we're just going to go ahead and jump right in and get into God's word. So this is Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. Give ear, for this is the word of the Lord. It says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children because you have the law, in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, we ask that in the same way that you sent your spirit to Paul to inspire him as he wrote this letter, would you so send your spirit on us? There is much that we wonder about in this text. There are many questions we have, Lord, but we approach this text knowing that your word to us is always good, is always for our benefit, and that you long to change us and shape us into the image of your son this morning. So Holy Spirit, we open ourselves. Would you come and do just that? We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever had a moment of clarity that was like an aha moment when you realized that there was a disconnect between something you were saying and what you were doing? So the other day, my kids got into an argument in our household, which is a fairly common 
occurrence. Uh, we have four kids, seven and under. And so I step in to fix things. You know, I, I'm the dad. I've got a plan. I'm, I'm in control of the situation and of myself, of course. And then things digressed. And all of a sudden, I caught myself raising my voice at my kids to get my kids to stop raising their voices at each other. And it was like, aha, uh, here I am doing the very thing that they are doing that is driving me completely nuts. And I'm just adding to the chaos, adding to the feedback loop. And, you know, as a parent, I could try to justify it, right? I'm the parent, you know? Um, I, I can do this when you can't. Um, and we can justify it with that phrase. You know that phrase, if you've ever used it, do what I say, not what I do? I mean, who's ever used that phrase? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> this is all hypothetical for the sake of a sermon. But have you ever had that aha moment where you just saw with such clarity the disconnect between your words and your deeds? I mean, if we're honest, we all have these moments, right? We all have these moments where, I mean, we were made to live with, in harmony, right? We were made to live with authenticity, that what we would profess would be really shown by how we live. But we have these moments where we're not too sure about ourselves. And it becomes clear that we have a struggle here. We have a dilemma here. It's, it's this thing called hypocrisy. And even as I say that word, that's a really dirty word in our, our culture today. I mean, it's probably the worst thing you could ever call somebody. Hypocrisy. What do, what do we do with that? As you probably noticed in our text, that's the idea that Paul is drawing us into as he is addressing the group of Jewish Christians in the church in Rome. And so uh, how do we sort through this dilemma? How do we arrive at a place where using biblical language, we live with shalom between what we say and what we do? There is a cohesion to our living and our believing. We're gonna consider two solutions today that actually come out at us from the text. And the, and the first solution we're gonna consider is, is to rely on a code. It's to rely on the code. I mean, if you think about humanity and the human race, probably uh, this is the solution that comes most naturally to us. If we are going to bring that cohesiveness between what we believe and what we uh, do, what we say and what we do, we need to have a code. We need to have rules, right? We need to have standards set for us. A code lays out those standards for you. And, and when you meet those standards, then you can say, ha, ah, I have shalom. You know, I'm doing okay at this human thing. I have value. I'm not a complete failure. And in our text today, did you notice how he was talking to a group who call themselves Jews? And he addresses these Jews as people who had a code, right? And in the church in Rome, there was Gentile Christians, as we've seen, and Jewish Christians. And in their life, before they had met Jesus, before Jesus got hold of them, and showed them the gospel, they each had a code. They each had a code that they lived by. The Gentiles code was the code of Roman society. It, it led to the kind of behavior we saw in chapter one, just 
loose in every way, morally, sexually, uh, and spiritually. But the Jewish code couldn't have been more different. The Jewish code would be the code that would look at the code of the Gentiles and look down their nose at them and say, you guys are horrible. We would never do that. Get your act together. And so now you have both of these groups, right? One with a very loose code, one with a very tight code that worshiped one God, and now they're one in Christ. We were praying for unity this morning. This is a text that is uh, unpacking some of the issues we have around unity in the church because we each come into the church with our own codes. We each come from different places. And Paul is inviting us to consider what it is that, that can bring that unity, that shalom, not just in us individually, but in us corporately, together. And so you have both of these two groups coming to faith in Jesus. They become one group. They are reordered around the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in verse 17, he paints the picture of the Jewish code. And let's just say flat out, Paul is doing this as an insider, okay? It's his own heritage. You know how you have the ability to kind of look at your own heritage and speak into it in a way that an outsider can't? That's what Paul's doing, He's not anti-Jewish, he's not anti-law, but this letter is about clarifying the role of the law within the economy of God's redemption, which finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And one of the big arguments Paul is gonna make is that the law was always meant to expose our sin and show us our need for a savior. The law was always meant to show us our need for a savior. So verse 17, feel free to look there with me. He says, if you call yourself a Jew, and that's uh, the special name for God's special people. And we're gonna see how he uses the word Jew, not just in the ethnic sense, but in the theological sense, that identity of God's people. He says, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law, And that word rely means to like rest in or lean on. It's what you take your stand on. He's saying, if that's you, if you're relying on the law, if you see yourself as a teacher of the law to others, if you see yourself as a guide to the blind, he asks, do you keep the law yourself? Verse 21, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And and it goes on and on and on. I mean, Paul doesn't use the word hypocrisy, but that's the idea, right? Do you practice what you preach? And he's pleading with his hearers who have a code, right? They're relying on a code to be honest and consider. Are you living your code? Is there harmony between what you profess and how you live? And and the issue was, again, the Jews who lived by their code were judging the Gentiles because they didn't conform to their code in really obvious ways. But he's saying, do you conform? Are you able to meet that requirement? Now, I just want to fast forward. Right now, we've been in first century Church of Rome, but let's fast forward today. What are some of the codes in our culture What are maybe some of the codes that you live by or your coworkers live by? I mean, there are lots of Christian versions of code, let's be honest. We might say every church has a code, right? Like an accepted way of how to behave, how to dress, how to speak, and give the impression that you're fine. 
And the way the code works is do what's expected and you'll be accepted, isn't it? Do what's expected and you'll be accepted. And maybe that's why a lot of people have a hard time finding their place in church today. Because they find it's really hard to, to break through. Because they come into a church and they can feel that there's a code here and I don't fit in. My life is a mess. But there are also non religious codes, aren't there? Some people live by like vicious codes or mean codes that are driven by power and profit. But let's be honest, most people today live by a code that they think is going to help them contribute in a positive way, right? So some of the codes of our day,、um, maybe the code of common decency,、um, conform to whatever morality is popular right now in culture and, and what it means to be good. Be commonly decent. That's the code. Or maybe the code of tolerance, right? Accept and love,、uh, tolerate everyone. Though I would say tolerance and love are two very different things, and tolerance is a much lower bar than love. Um, the code of self expression, right? You do you, live your truth. And here's the problem with our codes is that we can't achieve them. We can't achieve them. At least not all the time, and not from like the depths of our heart, right? So say, say you try to live by a code of tolerance, you know, accept everybody no matter who they are. Do you tolerate intolerant people? Do you tolerate intolerant people? Do you tolerate them from the depths of your heart? Or say it's common decency. Are you always commonly decent? You see, I think if we're honest, all of these codes set a standard that we can't really live by, at least all the time, or from the depths of our hearts. And let's just, let's just go a bit deeper here. A code relies on a strategy. Of behavior modification, right? A code doesn't transform our hearts. They, they prescribe behavior, and you try your hardest to conform to the code. And what ends up happening is you get focused on externals, right? So, Paul in verse 25,、um, a lot of you were probably thinking, oh boy, it's going to be quite the sermon.、Uh, he starts talking about circumcision. And you might think, well, that's an awkward twist. But here's why he does it. It's because circumcision for Jewish males was the external badge that told people you were Jewish, that told people you are part of God's family. So it's, it's like when you go to the grocery store and you want to buy organic. How do you know it's organic? It's got the badge, right? It's got the logo from the Canadian Department of Agriculture saying this is organic. Circumcision was like that badge for Jews. And what Paul is doing is he points out the flaw of using the badge, the external thing, as a proof that you're the real deal, right? Just like, you know, produce in the grocery store isn't organic because it has the stamp, it's organic because it was grown a certain way. And I mean, a, a grocer who, who wasn't really honest could just put that stamp on anything and sell it for more. The point is that what matters is, is what's on your inside. What's going on inside of you? You can modify your behavior all you want. You can try to force yourself to do the code, but if your heart is not in it, it's not authentic. And we come back to that first dilemma that there isn't a match, there isn't shalom 
between what's inside of you and what's coming out in your life. And what you end up with, the result of relying on a code is, is you either end up living in constant guilt. You live in guilt and anxiety because you know you're not measuring up. And, and add this to the fact that um, there are always more ways that you could be better at keeping your code, right? You could be more kind. You could be more loving. You could be more generous. In his book, Seculosity, David Zoll observes, most of us don't need a modern-day Pharisee in the room before we start to feel bad about falling short. We have one in our heads already. An inner accountant who takes copious notes on all our failures. How else do we account for the fact that the most accomplished people feel more rather than less pressure to succeed? Or that people who are better looking perceive their blemishes so acutely? Then he says this, the truth is that we ha- the higher we climb on the ladder of self-justification, the longer it gets. The higher we climb on that ladder of self-justification, the longer it gets. And when you live like this, when you live, when you rely on a code, everything you do, whether it's a project at work or how you treat one another, becomes a referendum on your value. You're just trying to prove yourself and climb the ladder and it just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Guilt is one result of relying on a code as the basis of your life. But the other result is hypocrisy. Because on the other hand, you, you, know, you might be keenly aware that you're not meeting the code, but on the other hand, you might think you're meeting the code when you're really not. And you're the last person in the room to know it. And what you do is you end up living a judgmental, critical, and hypocritical life. You look down your nose at everybody else who's not meeting the code. You see, the problem, friends, with relying on a code is that a code sets out a requirement, but it doesn't give you the power to meet it. And it doesn't change your heart. And so let's take a look at the second solution. This this first solution is just rife in the world, but this is what Paul is announcing. He is announcing a gospel that gets to the depths of our hearts. And so he unfolds the second solution to our problem. It's to rely on Christ. This is the solution that he is calling for in this text. And you might think most of the text was talking about the hypocrisy part and the code part. Well, we're going to get to why Paul is calling us here. This is the solution of the gospel. And here it is. We've looked at it before that Paul is proclaiming the gospel of God, that we are justified, not because we're meeting the code, not because we're doing what's expected and therefore we're accepted, but because of Jesus alone, that he died for our sin. He died for our hypocrisy and our failure. And he was raised, it says later in Romans 4, for our justification. That's a big word that means his righteous status, his just status gets stamped on your life and you are just before the holy and living God of the universe. And this means that the verdict on your life is already in. 
This means that the verdict is already in. Uh, You don't have to live as if everything's a referendum on your value. The trial is over, it's Christ. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Jesus now and ever is my plea. This is the gospel. And where the code says, do what's expected and you'll be accepted, the gospel says you are already loved and accepted because of Jesus. Yes, you are more sinful than you ever dared admit, but at the same time, you're more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. And this brings incredible freedom. Here's where I want us to see that this gospel brings us such freedom in our day-to-day living. As we live in a world that wants to draw us back into a code, that wants to draw us back into performance-oriented worth, it's that the gospel enables us to be free from the accusation, to be free from the accusation that comes from within ourselves. I mean, some of us are our own harshest critics, right? Some of us cannot let ourselves off the hook, but the gospel shows you, hey, God himself has let you off the hook. Who are you to not let yourself off the hook as well? The gospel also frees us from the accusation that comes from other people or or from the evil one. See, ironically, think about this with me. The only solution for our hypocrisy is to admit that we're guilty of it. It's the only thing that can let you off the hook. It's to say, yes, I'm guilty. I know I'm supposed to love God and love others. I failed about a hundred times today and probably a thousand more times that I'm not even aware of. I know And God knows, yet not I, but through Christ in me, Jesus now and ever is my plea. Thanks be to God that Jesus died for me. He saw it all and his death cleanses me from sin. And this confession brings such deep freedom to our souls because think about it, once you do that, Once you admit your sin, once you admit, yes, I fall into hypocrisy, all of a sudden you're not pretending anymore. All of a sudden you're not hiding. You're finally being authentic. So how does this change how we live? There's the gospel of our justification. How does this change how we live? Look at verses 28 and 29 with me. And and this is where uh, Paul really gets at what he's driving, uh, the point he's trying to make. In Romans 28 and 29, I think I have it on the screen. Yeah. It says, a person is not a Jew. And again, he's not saying ethnically a Jew. He's saying theologically, a person who is part of the family of God. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical, right? That outward identity badge. He says, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. By the spirit, not by the written code. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, 
not by the written code. And, and what he's meaning with circumcision here is he's talking about change and transformation, right? The cutting away of your old life and of sin and it gives way to an obedient life and a heart that is soft to God's word. His point is that the gospel of Jesus justifies you, but it also changes you. It doesn't leave you unchanged. It doesn't leave you as you were when you came to faith in Jesus, but he starts to go to work on our lives. But the strategy, and this is huge for us, the strategy is not behavior modification. It's heart transformation by the Spirit. It's the transformation of our hearts by the Spirit. Let's unpack this further. Paul is actually drawing on the prophetic tradition of Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived at a time where God's people were full of hypocrisy. Instead of bringing him fame, they brought him shame. In verse 24, he quotes from Ezekiel 36 when he says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. But then after this, and this is still in Paul's mind, he wants us to go back to Ezekiel 36. So go there with me. Turn back in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 25. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25. Remember, he's speaking to Jews, people who would know this stuff. In Ezekiel 36, 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The prophet Ezekiel was looking forward to a day where God would do a deep work in his people and not just giving them the law as a babysitter to make sure they stay in line, but to, to transform their hearts by his spirit. And notice that transformation, the transformation talked about in Ezekiel, transformation almost isn't strong enough. It's a heart transplant. It's a heart transplant. It's, it's taking out the old stony heart and giving us this, this healthy, supple, responsive heart of flesh. It's God himself putting his own spirit in us. I mean, friends, this is such good news. This is what Paul wants us to see when he says that circumcision is about the circumcision of the heart by the spirit of God. You see, only Jesus, only the gospel can get to the depths of our hearts like this and transform us from the inside out. And guess what? The end result is what our culture wants. We so want to be authentic. And the end result of this is justification, authenticity, and shalom. And get this. This is cool. Praise. Verse 29 says, such a person's praise, such a person whose heart is being transformed by the spirit of God, their praise is not from people, but from God. Imagine that. The holy and awesome God of the universe proclaiming his approval, his acceptance, his praise to you. 
Absolutely, we praise the living and holy God. That's the point of our life. But what Paul is saying is that when we allow Jesus to get hold of our lives in this way and, and when his spirit gets a hold of us, God just takes his hand and, and puts it on our head like a little child and approves of us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? The result of relying on Christ and, and our hearts being transformed by the spirit is, is harmony between what we say and what we do. It's authenticity and it's praise. Now let's think about how do we apply this? How do we apply this to our lives? And I think where I want us to, to just camp out on is this important thought that what God is doing in terms of transforming our hearts by his spirit, it's not an instant thing. Our culture loves instant stuff. It loves instant results, instant deliveries, instant coffee, instant everything. But this kind of change, the, the walked out change of God bringing harmony to your life takes time. Eugene Peterson called it a long obedience in the same direction. And so some of you might be looking at your lives right now and thinking, my life is a mess. There is zero harmony. Rely on Christ. Don't rely on a code. Rely on Christ. Open yourself to the work of his spirit and give it time. Give it time. You see, as a church, we believe that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus and how we would define a disciple is that we are becoming living copies of the master. You do not become a living copy of Jesus in one day or in one week. In fact, it never ends. This is our gift, the gift of the journey of following Jesus in this life. So to close, I want us to consider question. And the question is about the matter of our reliance. What are you relying on for your justification and your worth? Is it a code or is it Christ himself? Have you come to the place where you can say, where you can cry out, yet not I, but through Christ in me? Jesus now and ever is my plea. And then second of all, what are you relying on to transform your life? Is it behavior modification or is it heart transformation by God's own spirit? Friends, codes crush us, but Christ sets us free and the spirit of God gives life. May we rely on Jesus Christ and him alone. Let's just take a moment right now to be still and respond to God's word as the band comes up. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and pray in silence. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.